All right. Well, welcome into the second edition of the Ladies Leadership Coalition. I'm your host, Blythe Bramley, and we are joined today by the rest of the panelists of the group. We have Nicole, we have Christy, we have Charlie, we have Sharon, and we have Liz. And as mentioned in the previous episode, we're going to be talking about failure during this episode. And I sort of, I, I, I was drawn to this comment by Kanye West, which he's kind of a polarizing figure, uh, but he says that everything fails until it succeeds. And this is a man who was formerly in debt by thousands and thousands of dollars. And now he's rumored to be reported for close to a billion dollars. I don't know how much that's going to be after he gets this divorce, but uh, that's, it's still a successful story in and of itself. And so to avoid failure, a marketer by the name of Samantha Neal, she says that the worst mistakes don't happen as a result of wrong answers. They happen because we ask the wrong questions. So how can we all as business owners and leaders start to ask the right questions? Uh, which one of you ladies has sort of a strong opinion on, on the answer to this question about how we can ask those better questions? Go ahead, Liz. You know, what I found is that the initial problem that's brought to the surface, that's brought to leaders is never the actual problem. So day-to-day -day issues um, that are typically, co typically coming up that kind of rise to the top that need your attention, usually what you'll find if you dig in deeper with good, appropriate questions is there's something underlying causing these daily issues. And the daily issues will just keep coming back until we can, you know, ask the correct questions to get to, to the bottom of it. And usually it comes down to people in psychology, you know, um, because we're all working together towards a common goal. And, um, you know, not only should leaders be questioning how everything in the organization is done. And like I said, digging deeper beyond the surface. So some good questions to ask your team would be, you know, what are the implications if we don't get this fixed? You know, who else does this involve? Constantly trying to steer them back to what the customer needs. Um, but, you know, questioning everything is our responsibility. It's like our number one job as leaders. We should not only be questioning every process in our organization, but constantly questioning our underlying beliefs because the industry is changing rapidly. And if we're if we're not questioning ourselves, you know, we're not moving into the future. So I cannot stress enough the importance of good questions all day, every day. Yeah, for, for myself, it's been making assumptions too. I feel like it's very easy to say there's an issue with a team, team member, a group, uh, some sort of something in your operation. It's just making that assumption and being reactive on an assumption. So like Liz said, really asking those right questions, diving in, listening to all sides too. So one of the things I do is if I'm dealing with a director that's talking about an operational procedure, I'm going to talk to the people that actually work in that space too and try to involve as many people without overkill because sometimes we can overkill things too as, as business leaders. Uh, but, but just bringing in the right people to, to ask them how this does impact their day-to-day. -day. What can we look further into and understand all sides of something? Because I, for me, I'm always seeing big picture. And like, for example, this past Friday at Candor, uh, we were so busy that I can see my team was like needing help. So I jumped into ops, which I have not done in a really long time. It was fun. But then I started seeing some of the holes of, hey, you know, we have, would be spending way too much time on this and we need to get this more efficient and do this. So sometimes stepping in to their spot and being in the trenches gives you those answers that you need instead of just constantly making assumptions. How do you know if you're asking the right questions? Are, are, are any of you ladies conducting like customer interviews or, or finding out what sort of th those pain point moments for, for customers are? Or is it really just working, you know, within the operational standpoint and sort of, you know, seeing the fires as they come in? I think it has to be both mm -hmm. because when you're consistently having an issue with a particular customer, you have to sit down and talk to the customer because it's really a partnership not so much customer uh, 
vendor relationship, you have to know what your customer wants and see if you can actually produce what they want you to do. Because sometimes you just can't because of the market or whatever. So you have to come together and figure out a solution that works for both sides so that you can both excel and you can both be successful at it. That way your customers, if your customer's happy, your people are happy. And if your people are happy, your customer's happy. And it just, to me, it all comes together if you're listening and you're talking and you have an open communication constantly. And you, and I feel like you, you ladies are in a unique position where you're, you're constantly having to deal with, I guess, disappointment uh, from a customer standpoint. Uh, does it involve, say, you know, a, a misshipment or a late delivery window, uh, something along those lines where a miscommunication has happened? How do you sort of, I guess, get in front of that from a customer service standpoint or a customer management standpoint to, to explain those failures? Is it is it really just open communication with all of them? I would say that, yes, I think it is. It's, it's making sure that you have your operations teams or we have account managers that are responsible for specific customers, understanding the customer, building that relationship with them, and making sure whatever it is they need to know and how they need to know it is communicated. And I can tell you specifically just this past year, because of all the issues, I myself being the owner have asked even my sales team, give me customers you would like me to talk to so I can talk to them about the challenges and issues we've had so that we can at least let them know that I'm seeing this, I'm involved with this, I'm doing the best that we can and it's not even just them talking to the account manager level or the operations managers or the COO here um, all the way up to the top and really, you know, making them understand that we do care and we're going to do our best to fix these issues that are happening um, because it's been a year long of issues. You're always going to have issues, but the issues are just a lot um, you know, worse, I would say, obviously, with the COVID situation within transportation. So I think it's truly important as an owner of a company or even in sales, no matter where you're at, making sure you're having those constant communication with your customers. Because I think definitely from that perspective, it's always about communication. If you can't get ahead of it, if you can't communicate that, certain issues that pop up, you know, maybe it's a situation where they leave you in the future because of that lack of communication or it's a situation that they stay with you because you were so proactive with that communication. I think um, that's the most important thing for clients. And I know on your first shipment, your first 10 shipments, you may not have a relationship or even Charlie, you, you're placing people, your first placement, you know, it, it's not a relationship yet and it takes time. But if you do approach a situation before your customer red flags it, it does say something about your character. And I think in our industry, in any industry, character and integrity is what leads the way for success. And so there's times that maybe I'm even overzealous. Like I, we had a situation where our shipment was delayed and I wrote this reach out to my client saying, Hey, this is how we're going to fix. This. this is what we're going to do. He wrote, Nicole, this is one out of a thousand. You're good. And it's like, okay. But at the same time, I take that one out of a thousand as a customer could be upset and not say anything and just go on to a different provider. And so I'm going to just jump on it or our director is going to jump on it and create a solution. So that way that integrity stays intact because that's the most important part. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I just wanted to add to that with me even calling the customers, to be quite honest, as many issues as we've had, I felt like this sense of appreciation from them that I am seeing what's going on too. And even though my people are handling the issues, just the fact that I cared enough to call them and just check in was huge. Yeah, that definitely goes a long way. I, I feel like being proactive because there's this woman that I chatted with recently, I actually bought her. She has these customer co or customer camp interviews, and she teaches you how to dive into the customer process and asking the right questions in order to really dive deep of why they of why they decided to do business with you. And her main goal was don't don't sell me a bed, sell me a good night's sleep so that I can wake up early the next morning and get that workout 
scout in. She's like, sell me the goals of the, the, the customer that I can become or the, the client that I can become for other businesses out there. So I, I think that that was a really um, good takeaway because she she really helped me nail down exactly what my customers were looking for, which you kind of assume, I think, but you don't really know until you have those conversations. And, and, and speaking of having those conversations with several different companies, Charlie, you actually, from a company perspective, what where are the companies messing up when it comes to the kind of employees that they want out of a, a firm like yours? Are, are they looking for specific qualifications or, or a multi-tool player? Um, kind of break that down for us for, for what they're looking for. No, it's a, a great question, very relevant right now. To be honest, I think a lot of companies get in their own way and they miss the opportunity to communicate. So as a third party recruiting firm, you know, we are often dealing with an HR team or an in-house recruiter, but there are hiring managers, there are decision makers behind the scenes. And the reason most searches fail is because of lack of communication on that client side. Um, people are thinking things they're not saying. They're tiptoeing around conversations that may pertain to compensation or incentive um, and being very sensitive that, you know, if we bring in someone from the outside, how's our team going to feel that we didn't offer, you know, this up as a promotion? So I think it all comes down to communication and transparency. The other thing is just managing expectations. And I'd say that our job as recruiters is probably harder than ever right now because it's such a candidate market and people have options. So making sure clients realize, um, you know, there's such a debate out there that are you hiring for personality or are you hiring for skill? And I truly believe it's a combination, but there is no customer sales rep out there with a book of business and no non-compete that is ready to hit the ground running tomorrow. Like that does not exist. And so I think it, you know, at the very top, if the CEO believes that person's out there, that's the direction. They're never going to be satisfied. They're never going to find the person they want because from the very start, their expectations were they were not real and nobody managed it. So that's probably the hardest part of our job as recruiters is to kind of bring our clients back down. And, you know, there's humans out there and we can find a human that you can mold. But do you have sales reps that would leave your company and go somewhere else and, and bring their customers with them? No. And, and that's why they don't exist. Hmm. And you, you bring up a good point about the, I guess, the aspect or, or where it falls flat for, for some of these companies is their own onboarding. And so maybe some of you other ladies can, can, can shed a light on maybe how you onboard your new employees what certain steps do you take to make sure that they're successful is so they can theoretically not necessarily hit the ground running, but uh, get started as, as fast as they can? I think one of the best uh, companies I work for on their orientation of new employees was just spot on. They would spend a week doing an orientation about what, what was the company about? What did the company expect? What was the vision what were expectations? What were the goals for the year for each department? And they introduced each employee to every leader of each department of that company. And then they would sit down and they would talk with them so that when that person, whether it be in operations or in sales or leadership, they had a better understanding of what that company was about. Because I know just from my own experience, it takes me a little bit to trust the company that I'm going to work for because they also kind of sell themselves as we do this and we do that. And but I found over the years, it's not necessarily the case because they want to hire somebody. So they're going to give you the best information about themselves as possible. They don't give you any of the negative. So when you get in there and you start looking and then about two weeks, you go, Oh my gosh, what have I done? You know, why am I here? And so, and I think that happens more often than not with a lot of people. So like you said, Charlie, they don't come out uh, just going full blown sales because they want to make sure before they go to that, uh, that extreme of doing really great, they want to make sure it's, it's the right fit too. So I think it just, it's a little bit of a honeymoon period. You've got to work with each other and figure out what everybody wants. And if you can make that fit, then it's great. It's a, it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, that's a really good point, Sharon. And, you know, one of when I think about my my career and 
a failure, I go back to my third job out of college and I was young. I was probably 24 and I was pursued by a company. I went to interview with them and I was blown away by the interview process. It took place in this beautiful conference room with, you know, there was coffee waiting for me and I had a parking spot and I met all these inspiring people. I took the job and day one, they basically gave me a rundown that said, here's how it's going to work. Every day you're going to go rent a car in the morning, drive out to our client 40 miles away, be there all day, return the car at night. You're actually not going to be in this office and you're not going to be working with the people you interviewed with. And recruiter, like I look back and I'm like, I, I had to go through that. It was embarrassing. It was devastating. I quit two days later. And um, you know, in the scheme of things, like when we look at candidates that don't make it more than 48 hours, you know, I actually, I actually look at those situations like they trusted their gut and they probably did not do their diligence in the interview. In my situation, I was 23, 24. I was too scared to be vulnerable. And I, and I should have been, I should have said, who's going to be my boss? Where is my office going to be? What does the day look like? I was just so excited to get a job offer for, you know, four or $5,000 more than I was making. So that's advice we give a lot of our candidates and our clients. You wouldn't accept someone's, you know, proposal to marry them unless it was really cool and, and everyone felt good. So that's, that's what interviewing is, is you're, it's a two-way street and both parties need to ask and answer honestly and be vulnerable and, and not be embarrassed to ask a question that may, you know, seriously affect the way the situation turns out. And I think too, for, for Nicole, you actually mentioned the other day that, that micromanaging was a big pain point for you when you first started out. Sort of how did you, how did you let go of, of that micromanagement part of your personality in order to let your team sort of find their own way and let them flourish? It took a lot of time and, and patience and trust and, um, Really, COVID was a big transition point for myself and just my career and our company because I knew at that point either I could panic and try to do whatever I could in that day-to-day -day operation or I could step into a different spot and stand up and really entrust this team to do something different and started having different conversations with, with them and talked about what they wanted and what we wanted and how do we do this together and created that sense of trust, not only from my side, but their side too, because it was crazy. You know, everything was going kind of batty. Um, it was, there was always something kind of just catastrophic happening. And I'm like, you know what, either I can constantly be going to the past and trying to dig us out, or I can entrust them and give them all the tools and anything that I can display help um, and encourage them to to hit some of these goals. And it really changed the perspective of what I need to do. And then I also met Christy. Um, Christy was a very inspiring leader to me. So that was pretty much right when COVID, we started having dialogues with a lot more people. And she was, you know, telling me how she was running her company and doing all these um, different things with different people. And it made me go, okay, this is something that I really need to do if I want to be this type of leader. I've worked at companies where um, it was a constant battle for autonomy. So I always felt like I was going forward and then what I was doing was being undone. And I'm like, okay, these are all the things that I did not thrive in. And how do I create an environment for my team to thrive in? So, you know, I, I just had to make a decision and I had a, a great person to talk to that has shown me that there is success in this type of mindset and just kind of started stepping out and then instilling that thing, same concept into my leaders of my company, because I watched them do the same thing. And so when they would say, yeah, I worked until nine o'clock tonight or last night, instead of going, thank you so much. I go, why? I, I changed that mindset of like, why are you doing that? And they're like, what do you mean? We hit, I'm like, you have a team, you have people that are here to help you you know, don't do that. You need to entrust them. And if there's gaps, which is one of the things I talked about, let's identify those. Let's understand where those gaps are and try to plug those holes. So that way, every single shift has that same process, that understanding. And 
they can go forward. So this micromanagement side of things never needs to be the case for us. And it's made us propel significantly this past year. It's been one of the best things that I could ever say that I've done as a leader. And, and, and Nicole, you actually said that you don't use the word failure. You use the word gap. How is that really how that concept came to be with situations like that? Yeah, it was actually um, the director at the time. His name's Jacob Cosiera, who works for me. And um, he would use that word. So he would go, the gap was, and so we would, we kind of just, it evolved, you know, and it became how we identify whenever there's an issue. It's, it's like, okay, something didn't deliver and we missed contacting a driver or this, where was the gap in this? So we look, we, we take away that terrible, dirty word of, hey, we failed. Um, and we place it with the word gap and we try to just close those gaps so we don't have that reoccurring issue for the future. And, and for Liz, you actually mentioned being vulnerable as a way to connect with your team. So, so similar to, to how Nicole is connecting with her team by using, by changing the terminology, you choose a, a, a sort of a different path by being vulnerable. And you, you said it connects you with the team on a deeper level instead of losing credibility with them. Can you give us an example of how you've been vulnerable with your team in the past and how it ultimately benefited you? Yeah, you know, just getting really comfortable with the term, I don't know, that's a good question. Um, it was a really good start for me. Um, when I started my business, you know, and maybe this was necessary in the beginning because I was a one woman show in my basement at home, but I had to know everything and I had to do everything. Um, but, you know, if you're lucky, like I've been, the business gets larger than you. And at this point, you have to be vulnerable because you have to realize it's more than you. It's bigger than you. It's better than you. And if you're not vulnerable to that, it will eat you alive. Hmm. Um, so, you know, if a business owner leads with ego and knows everything, the business can only be as successful as that individual. Um, if the owner can be vulnerable and admit they don't have the answers, they're really free. So I think once they're freed from those expectations, they're, they allow themselves to rely more on everybody around them, um, bring in people that are better than them. And once they get to that point, the sky is really the limit. So as far as a specific example, um, I think the most powerful statement a leader can make is, I'm sorry, I was wrong, or I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Um, lucky for you ladies in this topic today, big time failure a week or two ago. Um, and I <laughs> had to get really comfortable with those words, even more comfortable than usual here in the last week or two. Um, but you know, I'm now at a place with my team where I am comfortable with those words. And, you know, it's just a matter of accepting, you know, like I said in my statement, like, you have to lose to win. I mean, there is, I have no doubt about that at all. And so um, if you want to, it's a natural law. You have to accept some failure. You have to take some losses, you know, with those wins. I'm um, in the middle of watching The Last Dance, uh, the Bulls documentary on Netflix. Okay. So I'm only on episode like five or six, I think, of 10. But, you know, one thing, that I just keep thinking about this week as, as I'm thinking about this conversation with you ladies and that and, and watching that simultaneously, Michael Jordan lost a lot, a lot, you know, and you almost forget until you watch the documentary to bring it all back. Um, but it's like, how do we remember him? We remember him as a winner. We remember him as the greatest of all time. Like, I don't think anybody talks about his losses. I don't think anybody talks about his struggles. He is just, the best, you know? So I just hope that by accepting failure and loss as part of the process, I'll be in a position to be remembered for the wins, you know? And I think that if you roll with them like he did, they really, at the end of the day, outshine the losses. And there's no, you know, there's nothing wrong with being vulnerable. There's nothing wrong with humility. I mean, I truly don't think that you can succeed without it. 
Yeah, very well put. And that's an amazing documentary. If anybody has is thinking about watching that, it is unreal. I've watched it several times just to get behind that perspective of, of somebody who just detests losing and failure and just keeps pushing almost at a maniacal level. But he is the greatest for a reason. And, and so we continue to be inspired by by him and his actions during the during his basketball career and then post career. Now, switching gears a little bit to to more of the, the family owned environment that is the, the world of freight. I think I can kind of speak for most of us here that we probably got involved with freight due to a family member being involved in it at some point or some capacity. Now, with Christy, you you often have, have mentioned about your your, I guess, challenges of taking over a business from your father, which is intimidating in and of itself, because usually someone is used to running things a certain way and they want you to to run that business the same way that they did what what if any failures did you sort of see in in the way that your dad operated things versus how you ultimately wanted to operate so i would probably say the biggest one was just the culture you know my dad um, was in vietnam he was a police officer he had a different way of dealing with people than I would deal with people. Um, so I think that was like the first challenging thing, um, just working for him initially for years. And then once I was able to kind of take over the reins, I would say within, I don't know, probably seven years of me working with him, really wanting to change how we communicate and interact with our employees. Um, that was the biggest thing because, you know, the customers were important, the carriers were important. Um, and sometimes, you know, my dad, um, you know, it's like people are here to make me money and to do the job. And, you know, to me, I kind of felt like that was going to be a challenge to get people to do a good job for us. If that's how you were, you know, interacting with people or speaking about that. So the biggest change I did really was just changing that culture and treating people totally different and being a little bit more laid back. Um, once my dad wasn't in the office as much, even though we still talk all the time and he would have his suggestions, but that was a huge thing. And then, you know, my, my dad was also really good at sales. Um, you know, God bless him. He did an awesome job with, with founding the company, starting it up, um, but I think, you know, both of us, you know, we just, we had a lot to learn and there was a lot of things that were just, you know, you're trying to build this path to go forward. And I kind of felt like on an island, not really knowing, you know, what to do um, and what direction to go. And um, it was just challenging because I felt like my dad was in a different direction than I was. And then after we opened the company, I think the biggest thing was my dad got sick and um, he was out of the office for over a month. And that was kind of, I would say, even though I was already in a mode of trying to make change and push forward, that was my opportunity to really take this and run with it and do my thing. And I remember him coming back saying, oh, wow, the business is still here. And I, I felt like, <laughs> you know what? Yeah, like it is still here. Like I wasn't going to fail or let something happen to that. And I think I talk a lot about my career, just trying to prove myself, not just to my dad, but I think to myself, hmm. I don't have a college degree. So, you know, I kind of look at myself a little bit different where I feel like I had to maybe work a little bit harder or to prove myself and to get through all these challenges. But we've had so many failures or gaps or whatever you want to call them along the way that honestly, if they didn't happen, I wouldn't be as strong of a person as I am today. And the challenging thing for me with the family is just making the business decisions I had to make that the family didn't always agree with and being in that role and then showing them that ultimately this decision was a successful decision that we made going forward. Um, you know, so again, along the way, there's so many different challenging things with being in a family business. But I think for me, truly trying to prove that I could do the job that my dad put me in, um, despite all the different things that I felt like, you know, I, I didn't want to fail, but you know, it's just one of those things where you have to fail. And I'm actually glad that there was failures because it also brought light to other things that we needed to do or make changes or decisions, whether it was personnel or directions within the company that really propelled us forward. 
What were, what was one of those bigger moments for you early on that that gave you that confidence boost to say, oh, oh, I got this. I, I can actually build this company and keep it moving in a positive in a positive direction. So I think the biggest one of my career was when we had a chief uh, or a, uh, yeah, a chief operating officer that was here at the company to truly help me do the things that I didn't know. I trusted him so much with the financials and things like that to where I kind of stepped back a little bit from it, didn't really learn it as well as I should, and then come to find out things were not going in the right direction and really had to take a deep dive into those financials, truly learn what what was happening everywhere. And unfortunately, I had to make a decision where I had to lay off 18 people I ultimately fired him. I fired our controller at the time. I, I got new accountants on board. And then I then took control of the situation because initially my dad didn't want that decision to happen, but I just did it without him knowing that that was the right decision we had to make or we weren't going to survive. And I did that decision. And ultimately, I think that was when it was like, wow, like, I did something I didn't think I could do. And now look at where we're at. I don't ever want to go back to that scenario and have to make a decision like that again. But what that did was make me truly understand um, when you talk about diving in deeper, Liz, like that's what I had to do. You don't know what you don't know. And I had to start knowing, you know, what does the P&L mean and what is all this other stuff and really start questioning everything that I really wasn't. And I was relying on other people to do. Ultimately you get the right people in place and then you start trusting them. But you know, at that same time, the guy that's running my company now, I promoted him to the, the chief operating officer position. He's been with me for 15 years. Um, he's the, probably the smartest guy I've ever met. Um, and I do remember my dad also telling me too, like, well, why are you gonna promote him? He's so young, he was 34 at the time. I said, it doesn't matter his age. He's like the smartest guy that I've ever met and he's been here a while and he knows his stuff. Like I just trusted my gut instinct and you know, I'm trying to think we were probably 30 million at the time and putting him in place and now we've propelled over to 80 million in revenue. So that decision that I had to make back then when we had to make change directions was probably that defining moment in my career. Hmm. And so you identified all of those gaps, uh, you know, sort of by trial, by fire. And I, I, I love what you said that you, you really had to learn each part of the business before you could add in people that you could trust to run those, those parts of the business. And I, I feel like trust is such an important role in, in every single business and relationships that, that we're creating. But a lot of times putting that trust in the wrong person doesn't work out in the long run. And, and Sharon, you actually shared a story on, on the LLC YouTube channel. And you mentioned how you were working with someone and had fantastic opportunity and they ended up betraying that trust. Can, can you sort of tell us a little bit of a uh, background of what happened in that situation? Yeah. So this person I had worked with, he was a dispatcher at another company. I used his trucks all the time and he was an older gentleman and we just became really good friends. And uh, he came to me one day and just said, hey, you know, I'd like to to go in with you and I think we can grow your business more. And I understand what you do because you use my trucks all the time. So he completely uh, won my trust. And I was younger then, and I, and I was eager to grow, and I wanted to do more. And so he came in, and he actually, we, I didn't have any computers at that time. I mean, it was before pagers even. I mean, I'm old, okay? And so, so Experience, Sharon. Experience. <laughs> so, so he came in, and he actually bought computers for our office. And we brought he brought his son in, and he set up accounting for us. I mean, and... We were growing, but it wasn't very long. It was several months later. I walked into work and everything was gone. The computers were gone except the one on my desk. The, the desks were emptied out. I mean, I was in a completely empty office except for my office and one computer that had absolutely nothing on it. All the accounting was gone. I had no, I didn't know what invoices had been sent out. And I had to bring somebody in to uh, try to uh, 
see if they could bring back any of the information that was deleted and they knew what they were doing. They completely wiped it out. Well, then I found out that he had also gotten into the checkbook and he had written a check and, and took a lot of money. And the bank said, well, you put him as a signer. So there's nothing that we can do. You know, you did this. And so I felt like a, a really, com- I, I, not only did I feel like a failure, but I was so betrayed and I didn't know if I would ever trust anyone ever again. It was almost like um, a rape victim. I mean, I, I just felt so horrible. I mean, I went into this depression and I didn't know what I was going to do. Then I found out he'd been doing business and getting an invoice in the customers directly under another company. And he was getting the money and using my uh, authority to um to sign up the trucks. So then I started getting all these invoices from carriers and no revenue coming in. All that being said, I survived. I didn't think I would, but I did. And I learned a valuable lesson about that. So do I trust people? Yes, I got through all of that, but I'm also very careful. One thing I didn't listen to was my gut, my intuition. And as women, we have uh, that built into our DNA and I, I have to urge you, if there's, I always know, if I if feel a little red flag or a little something and I don't listen to it, it gets me in trouble every time. Hmm. So I have learned to listen to that and pay attention to it. And, and I don't always say no, but I do a little digger deeping. I mean, uh, digging a little bit deeper into why I feel that way. And sometimes I go, no, this is just isn't going to work. It sounds too good to be true. And usually if it does sound too good to be true, it usually is. So have I grown as fast over the years as I probably could have? No. But I think uh, just from my, my personal past, I mean, I was in an abusive situation. So I think, and what I found over the years, if men especially, men uh, in leadership, they can hone in on that. If, if got, everybody says, well, you're so strong, how could you ever be be taken for anything? Because, you know, you're always, you always talk a lot and you always seem so confident. But I'm telling you, they know your trigger points and they can, they know if you've got any weaknesses whatsoever. I don't know how they do it, but they can just zero in on you. So you have to be careful. And so I've been very fortunate over the years just by paying attention, listening to my intuition and and you get through it and just don't give up because, <laughs> because if you're strong, just show them that you're going to make it and they're not going to get they're not going to they're not going to do you in. If you had to redo that situation again, were, are there any stop gaps that you would have or any protections that, that you would have put in place to mm-hmm. prevent some of that from happening? Yeah, I would have done more due diligence. What I should have done was called the company that he worked for because what I found out later is he had done the same thing to them. Oh, wow. And I didn't make any calls. So you have to do some background checks. Hmm. Don't automatically give up your checkbook to just whoever you have working for you. Stay involved. Pay attention. Don't let somebody else do all the work in one area of your business. You have to be involved in every part of it. You don't have to do the work, but you have to know what's going on. You have to be able to get in and see what's going on in your books, with your customers, with your teams, with your employees. You have to know what's going on. If you're going to be a leader, that's part of it. And so lead by knowing and taking care of your people, because if you can't take care of yourself, you're not going to be able to take care of everybody else. Well said. Now, getting into some of these. Oh, did you want to go, Nicole? I did because I, I think I know that there's other people on this panel, myself <laughs> included, that have come across this same type of situation um, with going into business with others. And Sharon says it perfectly with, you know, doing your due diligence. One of the things that I've identified as a huge um, trigger point for me now is that gut, you know, understanding my gut. And I look back at some of the biggest failures that I've ever made in my personal life, as well as my career. And it's usually been not following that gut. And I call it taking the shortcuts, you know, like someone gives you this promise or whatever the case is, even Charlie going into that role. And it's like in in our minds, it's like, oh yeah, I got a great deal. I got a shortcut that got me ahead of the line. And I call those deals with the devil now, 
Um, because usually if something is red flagging you and it seems to be a great shortcut, it tends, to, there's always a repercussion to it. So it's just understanding what those possibly could be and, and trying to uh, alleviate as much of the issue as you can and don't take shortcuts. <laughs> Agree. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> it, 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 especially the field I work in and in, in marketing, it's just ripe with those everywhere. All of the shortcuts everywhere where you can get viral and you can pay, you know, a hundred bucks for five thousand followers on your LinkedIn page and they don't mean anything because they don't they're they're paying followers and they don't actually engage with any of your stuff. But it looks it's a good vanity metric, I guess. So moving into to a couple of these roundtable questions, we only have about 15 minutes left. Oh, we got about 20 minutes left. So let's run into some of these uh, roundtable questions. And, and the first one on the list is for the panel, what are some professional skills that this industry forced you to learn that you didn't think mattered, but now they do? Technology. <laughs> Especially over the last year, I would imagine it, it, technology is always one of the bigger investments I think a lot of companies can make. Is 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 that something that you're still having to make investments in now, or are are you ladies sort of set with with your tech stack? I would say for us, it's always going to be technology. Mm -hmm. Consistently looking at what things can help us be a little bit better. Um, but along with bringing in people too, I always love to be able to hire people and give them opportunities to work within the company. But at the same time, when you get to certain levels with, with a business, you have to be able to scale and to be able to scale, you have to have specific technology or technology that's going to get you there faster and be able to make money while you're doing it. Hmm. What about as far as, uh, maybe, figuring out, I guess, those processes first within your business before making that tech technology investment? Because I know that that's personally where I have failed before is buying some software that I think is going to solve my problems and it solves maybe one small part of a problem, but it doesn't actually fix, you know, sort of the processes that are involved because I didn't properly identify the, those processes ahead of time. I just thought that, you know, sort of the software was going to be a, a, a magic bullet in, in order to fix some of the issues that I was going or, or suffering through. But on the flip side, as far as like uh, professional skills, uh, are there any maybe courses that you ladies are taking? Um, are you in, in investing, you know, sort of personally into other avenues that you think is ultimately going to help your business that you didn't think maybe was important, but now you do? I applied through, because we I'm a WeBank certified company. I don't know. I'm assuming most of you guys are too. Um, there's great programs that I've been able to find through that that you actually have to apply for. So I applied for one that's actually starting this Thursday. And it's all about the EOS operating, like a, a entrepreneurial operating system. And it's really a way to get to the nuts and bolts of the strategy and your goals and aligning your team to be on the same track as you and following that vision. And so there's different memberships that people can join that don't even cost money, you know, that they can look into um, different groups that I forget what they're called. Someone just told me the other day, but I'm part of a, a group called Vistage that allows that. Like we meet once a month. I actually have one today. Um, we have triads, which is two other board members that sit down and you talk about this stuff and you build partnerships and grow out your network so that way you can identify issues and what they've done to fix a lot of their situations, you know, and talking to other business leaders, like I talk with Christy quite a bit, you know, and other business leaders too, to just be vulnerable with and say, hey, this is what I'm going through. What tools do you recommend? So we start trading information, you know, like, hey, look into this company that can help you advance your tech or look into this concept so you can really understand what strategy you want to take. So I think it's identifying your whole process through your goals on what you want to do first and then finding, you know, different, even free, you know, free, free things that are out there, groups that you can join um, that will educate you on that specific process, strategy, concept, so I would be more than happy to share too, if people are interested, um, some different tools that, that I've used that are free. 
that they yeah, def definitely. What what are some of the I guess the the tools that you use on a regular basis that that help impact your bottom line? Well, there's been a lot of books that I've read and and done, and then I watch a lot of different YouTube type people, you know, that talk through different concepts of selling or. I mean, I can go on and on with this. Play. <laughs> I'm always, I call myself a nerd. People are like, what are your hobbies? I'm like, I crochet and try to learn. Um, so that way I can keep going forward. So, I mean, there's so many and that's why it just depends on the topic, but that could be another thing. If people are, are trying to look for free aspects of learning, shoot me a message, you know, shoot Christy a message too. I know I'm keep throwing her out there, but I talked to her so much. <laughs> give you guys some concepts of things you could look at for whatever that particular thing you're seeking. And what I'd like, I'm sorry, I was going to add to that real no, quick. Please. I, think, I think the biggest thing for me is like, yeah, the, the WBEN puts out a lot of stuff out there. I mean, it's just networking. <laughs> like Nicole said, like, you know, talking to her about stuff she does, or I reached out to Sharon to ask her about stuff that she specializes in. Don't be afraid to reach out because I reach out to my competitors on a daily basis to talk about what are you doing? What are you doing to fix this this problem? What can I do to help you? And what can you do to help me? And to be quite honest, it's probably the most powerful thing that I have done over maybe the last seven years of my career um, that has helped boosted me to the point where I'm at because you build these relationships with people where they are willing to share information just because you have that relationship. And some people just don't reach out and then they struggle trying to figure out what do I do next or, you know, what technology is out there? What are you using? How do you do it? I can't tell you how many people I reach out to in our space um, to have these conversations and they're more than willing to talk about it. And I think that's the most powerful thing that any of us can do. And I think it should be targeted, too, because I get a lot of people that reach out to me and they go, hey, I'm interested in building an expedited company. What do I do? And it's like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> me and said, Hey, I'm in this space and I'm struggling with X, Y, or Z. You know, what do, what do I do in this particular situation? Or here are my goals and I'm trying to do this. How do I do that? So the more specific people are when they're reaching out to you, I don't know if that applies to you ladies, the more willing you are to talk to them because it's like, okay, I have someone serious here. I have somebody who's really going out on a limb and asking a question and they really want to better themselves. It's like the kid looking up with you with the bright eyes. Like you're going to answer their question, you know, they're, they're approaching it that way. So my suggestion is that people want to do that. Just be very specific on what you're looking for help for. Well, definitely it, it, asking for help. I feel like is just such an underrated thing, but, but like you said, Nicole, it really has to be specific because other, if it's just a general question, then you're kind of wasting someone's time, you know, mm -hmm. so respect their time as much as you want them to respect yours. And, and I think also remaining intellectually curious about how you can better yourself and get it and get better in the future. So you can avoid those future failures. Uh, Charlie, let, let's bring you in. What, what things are you still, from a business perspective, are you still intellectually curious about? I'm like Nicole. I mean, I am such a, a nerd and like a good Saturday night to me is a good book or TED talk. So um, I think, you know, I, I think that just knowing what you don't know and recognizing that there's always opportunity to learn more, but also understanding that it's all relative as well. So I don't consider myself a supply chain expert. I have an outside view of the supply chain. I know a lot about the talent in the supply chain, the different jobs, the compensation. But if I'm speaking to anyone and you know more about transportation logistics supply chain than I do, my value there is that I can add my my thoughts and two cents on recruiting. And so I think a lot of times it's, it's very relative to who you're talking to um, we all know a little bit about everything, but we're all, you know, Dane of all trade, master of none in, in some aspects. So just being open to learning and asking questions. And um, again, it's vulnerability. It's, it's being able to admit, I don't know what you're talking about. So walk me through it. And, and speaking of vulnerability, Liz, you spoke on that earlier about how that's a that's a that's a benefit now for your team. If you could help them learn something from maybe your toolkit or or maybe something that you're training them for in the future, 
what are some of those, I, I guess, learning curves that you're that you're setting up for them so they can be better at their jobs? You know, Nicole put it well earlier with now we've got to pass that mentality on to our leadership. So I loved your why were you here until 9 p.m.? Um, I love that. And so really just it's all about influencing perspective as much as you can. And if they really can get on board and believe what you believe, you're all rowing in the same direction, you know? So um, I think that's at this point um, for my team and my company that um, kind of trust and trying not to micromanage and that will be really important for my management going forward. And, and from somebody that is actually really experienced with, with, with helping other people, especially mentorship with women in leadership, health, wellness, human resources as well, Sharon, you actually just started up a consulting firm called Saving Our Sisters. And it sort of goes along with the theme of everything that we're talking about in this episode and, and sort of highlight why did you want to get this started and, and where do you see most newbies sort of failing? So what I've noticed lately on uh, social media, people like Nicole said, people will reach out to you and say, well, how do I, I want to be a freight broker. What do I do? And you go, well, that's a pretty wide open <laughs> conversation. <laughs> you know, you can't just start a freight broker to not have any experience. So I've been seeing this a lot. And so I thought I've been, I've been in the industry like Nick, uh, uh, Christy said, I'm seasoned, not old. And so, <laughs> so my deal now is what I want to do going forward is give back. I've lived through a lot of different uh, areas of our industry uh, before it was deregulated. I mean, it, I mean, I've seen the growth of the transportation industry, but I've also been in education I've been in all different, uh, and I've been in retail, I've been in all different fields. And so women have always had the same issues. And so right now, I believe, especially with COVID, we have a lot of issues with, with uh, health and wellness. People are depressed. They don't know what to do. They're not able to get out. They don't know who to turn to. So I decided that, and I do, since over the years, I've met a lot of great, great women who are experienced in different fields. So my, uh, what I'm doing now is getting it started. It's not ready yet, but I've, I've got several women who will be consultants and it will be in health and wellness. It will be in technology. It will be in finance. It will be in entrepreneurship. It will be in sales, leadership. So I want to be able to answer those questions and help people not make a lot of the mistakes that we've made. They're still going to make mistakes. But if I can give advice or if I can consult and I can say, you know, maybe if you tried this, hire people that are smarter than you. Don't be afraid to hire people that are smarter than you. They will make a star out of you. Don't be afraid they're going to take your job. You want them to take your job. Uh, and not be afraid of success of others. So I'm at the point I want to give back. I want to help. And this is this is what I want my destiny to be. I love it. I love it too. <laughs> and, and you bring up a, such a great point about the health and wellness aspect. And, and what was mentioned before in, in, in the episode is, is how you have to be able to take care of yourself because if you're not taking care of yourself, then you can't take care of anyone else. It's like being on the plane with the oxygen mask. They teach you to put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you can help somebody else. So it, relative to the health and wellness aspect for all of you ladies, how are you taking care of your health and wellness so you can be your best self in order to help your team avoid failure. Part of my problem is I just, you know, I just semi-retired so I could do this other business and I'm still working. I'm helping some other companies. But what I found out is when I had all of the stress just went away, I found out I was sick and I didn't even know I was sick. And so I'm getting some, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be okay, but I've got some issues that I have to take care of. And if I hadn't stopped, it would have been a lot worse. So you have to stop. You have to listen to things your body's telling you and not ignore them because then it can be, it can be devastating. So we all have to take care of ourselves. Absolutely. Nicole. I have a 
literally a board in front of me that says you need to do this you need to do this and it's just to see it every day you know so i showed you guys when i started i have this beautiful quit smoking patch on i am on my 11th day of congratulations um so there's just like goals that i wanted to do whether that's walking whether that's there's one on there that says 60 hour work week max so it's just, I know it's silly, but it's just right in front of my face to like, I need to do these things. I'm making this commitment to myself to even go to the doctor. I don't know about you guys. I never go. I just yeah. never go. Doctor, I don't have time for that. So it's just, you know, creating that awareness to ourselves that we are important to not only our businesses, our people, but our families, you know, and ourselves. Like we owe it to ourselves anybody doesn't matter what who you are what role you play to just take care of yourself and identify too even what Sharon said on that concept of COVID you know talk to people and go you know make plans try to have a walking buddy or even a talking buddy you know if you're feeling a certain way and just ask yourself those questions on how you are every day absolutely what about you other ladies I would say for me I regularly now, I would say probably the last six months, I go and get a massage every two weeks. I do regular walking at my home office. I have a treadmill right in front of my desk just to kind of force the situation. If I can get 10 minutes here, 15 minutes there. Um, I obviously have some health issues myself, runs in my family. So I have no choice other than to keep myself healthy because if I'm not healthy, I'm no good to the company. I'm no good to my family um, or anybody. I would say the biggest challenge for me though, cause I do go to a lot of doctors. <laughs> I'm all about going to the doctor cause I don't want to be sick or get that taken care of, but I don't take time for myself in other ways as doing things for myself. I'm always doing things for everybody else. So when I have free time, I mean, it's very rare for me to be able to get time to get my nails done or get my hair done or just, you know, do something that I want to do, whether it's a concert or, you know, obviously we haven't been able to do that stuff, but that's probably the more challenging thing for me. But another thing I did in the past year specifically because I'm able to was bring my husband and my son on trips with me because I traveled so much and being able to spend that time with family because it was kind of um, hurting my situation um, personal by having to do this, but not being able to see my family as much. So that's actually been something that's been big and I'm going to start traveling again here pretty soon and be able to do those things. Um, but you, you actually have to take a step back and truly tell yourself, you do need to take time to do this. So it's just very important. Absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. It, it, adding those thing, aspects to your life uh, that you truly enjoy has a multitude effects on the actual business outcome that you can't really measure in a report, but you just, you, you come back refreshed. You, you, you're able to, to focus easier on, on the tasks that are, that may have seemed super intimidating or super challenging before Char Charlie and Liz, tell us a little bit about how you are taking care of yourself in order to, to eventually take care of your team. Yeah, I mean, one of the things anyone on my team knows that every afternoon, they may not know when, but I take a break and I meditate. And that's a very personal thing for me. When we were in the office, um, we had just started bringing in like a facilitator and it was an optional hour meditation. And if you wanted to come, you drop in and you, you, you know, just clear your head. So like I said, it's not something I schedule and it's on my calendar, but my team knows that that's a priority. And what's crazy is I've been doing it for about two years and my family recognizes it as a priority too. And, um, you know, if I was going to take a nap in the middle of the day, I would get no respect. But if I'm meditating, the kids are like, mom's meditating, you know, <laughs> like not being, not being embarrassed about it. Like, yes, I meditate every day and I will be gone from my computer for 25 minutes and I'll be back. So it can wait and putting it out there and, and encouraging other people. You don't have to meditate, but go on a walk or just walk away from your computer, go talk to a friend for 20 minutes in the middle of the day. Like it's okay to do that however you need to clear your head absolutely and there's so many tools now that, that you can take advantage of meditation you don't have to you know be a seasoned veteran in order to download the calm app or i think headspace now has has different meditation uh videos up on netflix so it's, it's a really great thing to take advantage of what about you liz how, how are you taking care of your health and wellness 
Honestly, not doing enough. Um, <laughs> so it was interesting listening to you ladies and I'm definitely gonna take some of your your tips. I see, I can visualize Nicole's board. I need something because I'm a list maker and I love to check things off, um, unfortunately. And I think just, you know, starting a business young and just the, I have just not ever formed the correct habits in that way. And so um, I probably need to, I'm gonna ask you guys to give me some accountability and ask me again in six months and I'm gonna have an answer. Absolutely, <laughs> well, we'll look forward to that. We'll, we'll, we'll set that date, we'll schedule that out. Uh, finally, let's go ahead and close it out because we are right at the one hour mark. Now, if you're new to this show, you can find the, the you can find our channel up on YouTube. You can also check out Spotify. Just search for Ladies Leadership Coalition. The episode should be up later today, I would imagine, but it's immediately up on YouTube as we're live on YouTube for the first time. Uh, any other moments that, that you ladies want to highlight for the what the audience can expect next? Maybe, Nicole, you, you can highlight a little bit about what to expect from the group in the future. Yeah, I mean, we would really like to have our audience start participating with us. We did have one comment come in from Steve Wolf, and it was just a very kind concept on Christy saying that she always makes people feel like every word she speaks is just with extreme significance. And she's so easy to communicate with people. And you're one of his favorite people. So thank you, Steve. But it's just getting more of our audience to ask what they want to know. It's like we want to keep talking about different topics, but we want to know what's significant to you. What questions do you have? What topics should we dive into uh, for the future? So that way we can have more of an interactive show with people who have questions and comments. Absolutely. I think we got it. We got a good roadmap for the future, but we can definitely use some help from the audience in order to find out what they're struggling with so we can get ahead of the curve a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, ladies, for your time. Hope you guys all enjoyed this episode. And just a gentle reminder, be sure to subscribe on YouTube and follow on Spotify, the Ladies Leadership Coalition. We also have a LinkedIn page that you can check out just by searching the same name. Uh, but until next month, we will be back. Thank Bye, you. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks.